1: I'm reading tonight from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. It says this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to pause right there. The author says, In my first book, okay, so we're in the book of Acts. Who wrote the book of Acts? A man named Luke. And he says, my first book. Well, what was his first book? His first book was a book called Luke. Out of the four gospels, one of them is written by a man named Luke. We know that Luke was a doctor. We know he was a very educated person. If you want to look for an account of Jesus' life that is approached from a historical point of view, go read the Gospel of Luke. He takes us all the way from the very beginning to the very end in a sequential way, in a very methodical kind of way. So, what he's saying in this opening verse is he's saying, Hey, I wrote my first book. Now I'm going to tell you what happens. Next, let's keep reading. During the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray as we get started tonight. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray, God, that tonight we would be transformed by your word, that we would not enter into your word with our own agenda, but we would walk into it with a spirit-minded agenda, to do your will, to have your mind replace our mindset, to have your will replace ours. We love you, we thank you, we pray that your presence would guide every word that's spoken and that your word would come alive to us tonight. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen, amen. I want to tell you three stories tonight and I'm going to tell you two at the very beginning and I'm going to save the third one for the very end. So the first one is, was actually a book that was written in England and it's called The Three Princes of Serendip. And so the book, though it was written in England, was actually the English translation of a story that came from an Italian writer. And the Italian writer claims that it came from a Persian fairy tale. And in Persia, the word serendip is actually just the name they use for the island nation of Sri Lanka off the coast of India. So I'm talking about a story that took place in Sri Lanka as a Persian fairy tale that was originally written in Italian and then translated into English. There's not a test. You don't need to worry about the details. But I do want to tell you the story. So the story in Sri Lanka is that there were three princes who were very... Uh, wealthy. And because they were wealthy, their father sent them on this great adventure to go to Sri Lanka and to seek adventure. So they went to seek adventure, and they found themselves on a path that was not the path that they intended on. Despite all of their visions of grandeur, of what the amazing battles and accomplishments they would find themselves on, they find themselves chasing down a camel. So they're chasing this camel, and they never find the camel, but they learn things about the camel, and they're very observant people, and they're on this unexpected path following this lost camel and they learn things. So they're very observant. So they learn that um, they they figure that the camel is carrying honey on its right side because on the right side of the road, they find a swarm of bees eating honey. And then they figure that the camel has milk stored on its left side because later on they find a pile of or a puddle of milk with flies in the milk. And then later on, they observe that the camel has a bad left leg because they see the trail of the camel's leg and the sand and they're chasing this camel which is not the adventure that they intended and the adventure takes another turn when they're then arrested by the king of Sri Lanka and so they're brought into the king's palace and they're thinking that their life is at stake and so the king is hunting for guess what A camel. And so the three princes are able to share everything that they've learned about this camel that was not their intended journey, but was the journey that they ended up on. And the king is so impressed, he follows their advice. He finds the camel that he had been looking for. And because these three princes were his instrument towards his success, he then rewards the three princes with all of this great wealth And he takes care of them, and he gives all of them jobs as advisors in his kingdom. And everything is wonderful, and that is the story about the three princes of Serendip. Well, that story from Sri Lanka told by a Persian to an Italian author translated into English, the Englishman, when he started publishing the story in about the 1700s, is the first time that we start hearing the word used, serendipity. And so I don't know if that's a word that you would be familiar with, there was a movie at some point. It's uh, kind of a vague word, and we're going to kind of wrap around this word because this is the word that we're going to use for the six-week series that we're starting today. And I want to give a definition to that word. And the definition we're going to use for this series is this. Serendipity is the adventure of the unexpected path leading to unexpected treasure. I'm going to say that one more time. Serendipity is the adventure of the unexpected path leading to unexpected treasure. I told you I'm going to tell you two stories at the very beginning, so here's the second one. This one starts off in Ireland. And in Ireland was the home of the very early Christian church in about the third century. So after Jesus had died and rose from the grave and ascended into heaven, the church began to spread through the Mediterranean. And then around the third century, they started developing a very strong church up in Ireland, that would have been known as the Celtic Church. And so the Celtic Church was a vibrant church community. These are people who loved God. These are people who passionately followed God. And one of their habits that is really interesting to me is that the Celtic Church in the early 3rd century developed their own little nickname for the Holy Spirit. The nickname that they gave the Holy Spirit was Anganglis. And what that means is the wild goose, which I think is funny because if you just imagine every like beautiful stained glass window you've ever seen with a dove, imagine like a crazy squawking goose instead. And this was their image of what it felt like to go after God, of what it felt like to follow the the Holy Spirit, is that it was this wild goose chase. And I understand that that might feel a little bit disrespectful to talk about, one of the members of the Holy Trinity, as a goose. But what they found in their pursuit of God is that there was an unpredictable nature to following God. There was a joy that could be found in the unexpected. There was a joy that could be found in the unplanned. And that there was an intended vagueness to the plans that God would give us. That God would often give us the first step And then he would just kind of leave us. He is the God who told Abraham, I want you to leave this country. God, where are we going? I'm not telling you yet. I just want you to walk with me. And they had this vision and power that following God would be an adventure. It would be an elusive adventure, but it was a chase worth having. It was a spirit worth following. And when Jesus is getting ready to leave, he leaves this same advice to all of us in Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So what's the plan? What's the plan? Following the Spirit is the plan. Chasing the wild goose is the plan. I'm giving you the end result, telling people about me everywhere. And I'm giving you the first step, receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then that's it. I'm not giving it to you step by step. I'm not giving it to you play by play. I'm not giving you the owner's manual. I just want you to follow the Spirit. And if you do, you will be my Witnesses. In the next six weeks, we are going to take this journey through the book of Acts. The book of Acts is filled with some amazing things that happened in the early days of the church, and most of those things happened in unexpected places and in unplanned ways. And so, we are going to, in the next five weeks, each week, take one of those episodes and we're going to look at it and see what we can learn about how someone followed the Spirit, about how someone took steps to listen and to follow the Spirit and the treasures that they found along the way by being a person who's led by the Spirit. Just to share a few things that you guys can look forward to. We're going to take a different approach in this series starting next week, and we're going to take a little bit more of a conversational approach. So me and Mandy are going to be here all the five weeks hosting, and so we'll be up here hosting, but we're actually going to have a guest with us each one of the weeks that we want to share kind of some of their experiences and let them speak to that. So for example, next week we're going to be joined by Jeff and Catherine Winkleman, who are... Chi Alpha Pastors, which is kind of the uh, a Christian college group at UWM. And so they are people who their full-time job is investing in young adults between the age of 18 and 24, and helping them find Christ, discipling new believers, and I want to sit down with them next week and hear their stories. What is it like? How do you hear God's voice? How do you disciple? How do you evangelize and be a person of the Spirit? So I'm really excited about the people that we'll have with us through the series, and then I'm excited about each episode that we're going to look at in Acts as we walk through that. So today is our day to get a good starting point, and this is how we're going to start today. We're gonna start with three things that following the Spirit isn't and three things that it is. Number one, following the Spirit is not about a program. So what is a program? A program is a set of related steps with an intended outcome. I like programs. We have a lot of programs here at this church and I love all of them. There's some really great programs. Okay, so like if we just named programs that exist at our church. Um, Well, we could start with life together because (laughs) we're a group that gets together on a regular basis, so there's a plan, right? Hey, seven o'clock every Wednesday night, you can come join here to be a life together. So no one in this room can say that you hate programs because you're at one right now. You know, Royal Rangers is a great program. We train up young men. You know, if you haven't been to the Discover class yet, I'm a big fan of the Discover class. It's one of our on-ramping pathways for people to get to know our church better. And so, Discover class, that's a great program. And for a lot of, like, my planners in the room, like, we love programs. Like, if you're keeping notes on what I'm saying right now, you're my people. Because you're the people who want steps and routine. You probably have lists on your refrigerator somewhere. And then you've got this, like, organized way of working through life. Programs are really good things. Following the Spirit is not a program. And this can be really hard for us to get it out of our system. So, like, for example, someone says, Hey, I feel like God is telling me that I should tell someone about Jesus. Great. Sounds very Spirit-led of you to feel that way. Well... But why tell one person when I could tell 10? And why tell 10 when I could tell 1,000? Let's put on a Christmas musical. How about that? I like our Christmas musical. I like programs. Following the Spirit is not a program. And it's really challenging for us to, like, wash this out of our systems a little bit. Because you're like, I want to connect with ladies in my neighborhood. Awesome. I'm going to start a Thursday night Bible study every single Thursday. That's a good thing, but it is a program. Following the Spirit is not a program. Number two, following the Spirit is not about personality. This is an interesting thing because there are certain things about being a Spirit led person that we can drift into making it our own little archetype of a character. So someone walks in and they're like super talkative, they're the person that's like, hey, I'm I'm Greg, nice to meet you. And the person that just gets in there and just just goes and they just talk to everyone they ever meet. And it would be easy as a Christian to look at that person and go, oh, they should be an evangelist because they, they talk a lot. And so I'm thinking that God will let them do that and then I don't need to do that because I'm not a talkative person And we can view this with people that are optimists or people that are pessimistic. We can view this with people that are more introverted or people that are more extroverted. We can view this with people that are shy or people that are not shy. And we can kind of put ourselves into a box and we can turn being spirit-led into being a personality type. I think this is a great mistake because if we believe that being spirit-led is a personality type, then we're agreeing that God only wants 50% of his believers to be spirit-led. God wants every believer to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants every believer to be spirit-led. And so for us to believe that our personality is, a, is, a, is holding us back, I don't think that's true. I think God has called shy people and really talkative people and planners and not planners and people of every background and of every age and of every interest to be in his kingdom and to be a spirit-led person. If you're sitting in this room and thinking you're off the hook, you're not off the hook. Number three, following the spirit is not about living with disorder. You know, if I, if I wake up one morning and I go, I feel spirit-led to uh, share God with my neighbors. So I'm going to walk out that morning and I'm going to walk to my first neighbor and, oh, look, they're, they're you know, mowing their lawn, so I'm going to stop and talk to them for, three hours. And then I'm going to go to the next one, and they're getting their mail, and then I'm going to stop and talk to them for three hours. And I stop, and the bus driver's there at the corner, and like, hey, can you hold on for just about three hours? We need to have a little talk. If I live this life, my life this way, what's about to happen? Well, my wife's going to be upset, and I'm going to lose my job, and uh, no one's going to get fed at my house, and my house is going to Not get the lawn mowed. And there's all of these things that are gonna fall apart. And I think sometimes we we begin to believe that being a spirit led person requires disorder, that it requires all of these other things to all fall apart. You know, one of the amazing things about the spread of the early church is that it didn't just happen from missionaries. One of the ways the gospel got spread to really far places like India and like Africa is through merchants of people who it was their job to go to those locations. And then because they were believers, they would just do their job of making the trades, of traveling with these ships, and then tell people about Jesus while they were already there— there's an idea that with you know, the Great Commission of therefore go into all the world and preach the gospel, that therefore really can also mean as we go. So like as you do your life, as you go to work, as you pay your bills, as you are a good father, parent, as you are a good uh, employee, that you can, as you go, do God's will. And that to be a spirit-led person does not mean to live with disorder. We can have orderly lives. We can be productive members of our households and our families, and yet be someone who chases after the adventure of the Spirit. i want to change the gears here and go to three things the following the Spirit is. Number one, following the Spirit is about releasing control. There is this great lie of the enemy, and it's the whisper in our ears that we're in control. And we can live a lifetime of Believing that lie, holding on to that lie that we're in control. And when God calls us to be a spirit-led person, he calls us to take our fists off the steering wheel and place our, our lives in God's hands. And to allow him to take control, that practice of releasing control makes a great difference. It is one of the first steps in becoming a person who follows the spirit Number two, following the Spirit, is about learning to listen. And the most important word in that phrase to me is learning, because learning gives me the freedom to make mistakes. It gives me the freedom to not get it right. Some days, I'm someone who is learning to listen to the Spirit of God. You know, I know for someone who uh, becomes a medical doctor, and they go to school for all of those years, And wouldn't they just love, after eight years of education and residency and all these things, to show up on their first day of work and say, Aha, now I'm going to be a perfect doctor for the next 40 years of my career and never make a mistake because I have accomplished my education. Well, we all know it doesn't work this way in their career or in our careers, that on our first day, we're just getting things going. (laughs) We're going to make so many mistakes, and yet with those mistakes, we are going to learn, and we're going to grow. I want to have that approach when it comes to my ability to listen to the Spirit of God. I want to be a person who has a discerning ear between the voices that come against me that are man-made and the voice of the Holy Spirit. I want to be able to hear His voice, recognize His voice, and that only comes in practice That only comes with a heart that has a passion and a desire to listen to the Spirit and to tune in our ear to His voice and to follow after Him. Number three, following the Spirit is about developing fearless faith. It's like that moment where you're standing at the edge of the cliff and you hear the voice of the Spirit say, Jump, it's gonna be fine. I'm learning to listen. I'm sorry, would you say that one more time, please? Jump. It's going to be fine. Well, listening, when it comes to following the Spirit, listening is just not enough. Listening is never going to get the job all the way done. It has to be followed up with a brave heart, with a fearless faith that then moves, that then leaps, that says, yes, Lord, I will go. Yes, Lord, I'm going to walk across that street. Yes, Lord, I'm going to give this. Yes, Lord, I'm going to walk over and talk to this person. Yes, Lord, I'm going to give this up in my life. And the action, the doing that follows the listening are the two things that have to be married together in our faith if we're going to be a person that follows the Spirit. We have to have a fearless faith. We have to have a brave heart that is able to follow up the listening with the doing. This is what it is to find God in the unexpected and the unplanned. This is what it is to get wrapped up in a wild goose chase. It is exhilarating and scary and thrilling and always worth it. This is the adventure. I want to put up that definition that we had at the beginning here of serendipity. Serendipity is the adventure of the unexpected path leading to unexpected treasure. I want to do one more definition tonight, and it's another big S word, and the word is sovereignty. And I want to define sovereignty this way. Sovereignty is the supreme power who knows every path and who hid every treasure. God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful, he is stronger than you, he is stronger than anything that you could come up against. God is omniscient, which means that he is all-knowing, that everything that you cannot understand, he does understand. God is omnipresent, which means he is everywhere and everywhere. He is the sovereign. He is the supreme power. He is the one who has ordained everything from the beginning to the end. He is above all of these things. And in our serendipity, we can find God's sovereignty. We read this in the beginning, and I want to read it one more time just to make sure that it lands on you the way that it has landed on me today as I've studied this. Acts 1, 6 through 8, so when the apostles were with Jesus they kept asking him, "Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom?" He replied, check this out. "The Father alone has the what? authority to set those dates and times. They are not for you to know." What is he saying? There is only one sovereign. There is only one God. There is only one who is ordained, there is only one who has the authority to know all of these things. And I need to kindly remind you that it's not you. That there is one God and he is the sovereign. He is the one who reigns, he is the one who knows every path and he is the one who has hidden every treasure along the path. And for us, we don't land in that category. It is not for us to know. He's the one who has the authority. And so when he says, but he has the authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You are going to take an unexpected path. You are going to go on an unplanned journey, and you are going to find the treasure that God has hidden for you. There is an adventure to be had, and I want you to take off on it. I want you to be a person who follows the Spirit. I want you to be a person who chases after God. I don't want you to grow weary or be afraid. I want you to have a fearless faith. Learn to listen to the Spirit, and then follow after Him with everything that is in you. And I promise you, there is adventure, and there is joy, and there is miracles and there is goodness on the path, if you will just release control, let him be sovereign, and let you be spirit-led. I promised you three stories. Here's the third one. So when I was 28, I was working full-time at a church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but God had kind of placed on my heart, our heart, for me to go back to school. And so while I was working full-time for two years, three to five times a week, I would travel an hour and a half from Tulsa to Stillwater, Oklahoma, which is where um, Oklahoma State University is at. And so I got my master's degree during that time. And it was kind of a, a unique experience for me because of just having my whole world that was here. This is during the years when my oldest two boys, Grayson and Ryder, were born. So like, there was a whole lot of craziness going on right here. And then I had this like, little separate world where I would go to school three to five times a week. And and have this kind of different community. While I was there, I met a man, a, a young man named David. David's not his real name. I'm using David to protect Mark's identity. Um, <laughs> and so David was an outspoken atheist. In, in my experiences, when I meet an atheist, there's like usually two categories. There's someone who I just call like a casual atheist, who's someone like, ah, oh, there's no God. There's no. It's not worth it. It's not worth the energy. Everything's fake. I don't have time for this. And then there is another category of people that I would think as being like a very well-thought atheist, of someone who's read a lot of literature, someone who's really thought about this, someone who's going to quote you know, psychiatrists and psychologists and sociologists, and someone who's really put a lot of thought into the belief that God does not exist. And David was one of these people who, who believed that way and would share about this and enjoy these kind of conversations, and mostly... I refused to engage any of this because I, in my spirit, had felt one calling from the Spirit to have in David's life. And that was to be marked present. That if there was an attendance list for David's life next to my name, I wanted there to be a checkbox that just said that I am here. And so during my time with David, um, you know, I think one of the things that God has used in my life to be a Spirit-led person is, is a curiosity that he's given me. And one of the things that I'm curious about is I'm always interested in people's stories. And in my experience, when I've gotten to know people that are what I would call a well-thought atheist, I usually find that there's more to the story. That even though we're going to start the conversation talking about, you know, well, this philosopher said this or this uh, sociologist said this, that underneath it, there's a lot more of the story. And so in the lunches that we would share together, maybe once a week for a couple years... I learned a lot more about David. And one of the things I learned about him is that when he was 11 years old, his father was a worship pastor at a church. And his father had a moral affair and divorced his mom. And in that time period, then his, David's father came out and said, there is no God. My son, this is all fake. This is all worthless. It's all meaningless. There is no God. The family broke up. David, who now was 19, 20, had a lot of craziness going on in his college years that uh, he was someone who was not making moral decisions in his life. And so in the groups we circled with, he had a girlfriend who he was having inappropriate relationships with. And then while he was in that relationship, there was another person who was engaged to someone else. Well, they started having an affair together. He started having an affair with a uh, professor at the university that was like 20 years older than he was. was. it was a hot mess, and in that, a student who had experienced all of the pain from what that had caused him as a child was now a 1920 year old and was experiencing all of the pain that happens from living outside of godly living at this point in his life ended him up in a place of extreme depression, suicidal thoughts, and just extreme brokenness. In meantime, what is my goal? Check. I want to be here. I'm not bringing any tracks to our lunch. I'm not wearing Christian t-shirts. I just—and if you do, that's fine. But I just—I'm <laughs> just here, and I just want to be here. Six months after I graduate, I'm trying to stay connected with David, and so I invite him to come um, play tennis with me with some other friends. And so we're playing tennis, and at the end of the night, I think I won. No, this is not important. To the story. At the end of the night. David says, can we talk? I have something really important to tell you. Great. And so we sit down in my car, and I promise you, he looks at me and he goes, Dan, Jesus talked to me last night. What? (laughs) To you? I can barely get him to answer the phone sometimes. (laughs) He's talking to you? Our God is a God who chases after the one. He leaves the 99 to go after the one because he loves them, because he loves them, because he loves them. And my God is sovereign. My God is sovereign. He knew all of these things. He saw everything laying out before it started. He knew exactly where David was going to be at that point in his life. He saw him when he was a broken 11-year-old. He saw him when he was a broken 19-year-old. But he knew the timing of all of those things. And what God knew is that God knew that one night he was going to be open for the first time. And on that night, God didn't need my help. God appeared to him in a dream and Jesus spoke to him and revealed to him the reality that he had been denying for the last 10 years in his life. And God knew all those things and all that God needed is God needed someone for David to talk to after he played tennis. Hi. (laughs) That is the adventure. That is the joy of being a person who follows the Spirit. That is the treasure that we find along the pathway. It is what makes all of this worth it. It is what makes the unknowing worth not knowing, is to release control and to trust him. I believe that God has plans like that for every single person in this room. I believe that as you learn to listen, I believe that as you develop a fearless faith, that God wants to take you on an incredible journey and let's be people of faith together and let's learn how to follow his spirit. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I thank you that you're here in this room tonight. I I sense you. I pray, Lord, that you inspire each one of us to follow after you. I thank you, God, that you have been so true to your word. And I pray, Lord, that through the next six weeks, you would call each one of us to a higher level of spiritual connection, grow our listening skills, grow our brave hearts, and teach us how to follow you in spirit and in truth. We love you. We give you our praise. We give you our attention. We give you our heart. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
0: Thank you so much for being with us for the Life Together podcast. It's even better when we get to see you in person. You are invited to join us on Wednesday evenings here at Oak Creek Assembly of God. We are a church that exists to reach our world for Christ as we lead people to discover and become who God has created them to be. Find us online at Oak Creek AG dot org